0: It's time for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. Second episode of HBO's Westworld. This one is called Chestnut.
1: I like what you thought about an old chestnut being like a tried and true story that you've heard over and over again, that seems right with the loop theme that we have going and them remembering things, things happening over and over. Well,
0: and you could apply it to the robots themselves that they are themselves reused over and over again. And even though up until the recent update, they haven't been able to retain any of themselves, any of their prior memories is more correct to say, their bodies have gone through a lot. And like they mentioned with Dolores being the original from last episode, you might be able to detect a certain, I don't know, affection that some of the older hands might have towards some of the robot bodies.
1: One of the things that you had looked up about the definition chestnut was that it's also a part on a horse. It's found on the inner side of the leg above the knee on the foreleg. And it's basically not needed anymore. It's it's an extinct feature on the horse. Is it, is it that
0: n- knobby, elbowy looking yeah. part?
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Which was, you know, being a show half Western, anything horse related <laughs> has got to stand out.
1: I really like the idea that it's like an outdated feature of the horse, if you will. Okay. Because it made me think of how Ford making the assembly line for automobiles made the horse of the Old West become outdated and unneeded.
0: She means Henry Ford, if you're not connecting the dots.
1: So then it also made me wonder, in this situation, if this was the same type of thing, like Ford himself was making real horses unnecessary because he was creating these robot horses.
0: I sure hope we find out exactly what this means.
1: So let's get into episode two. We have newcomers to the park.
0: Yes, we met both Will and Logan, two very different individuals. We don't know their background, but we can kind of infer...
1: So we have William, and he is the, I guess I want to say the kind of more vanilla character at this point. He seems very innocent and ready to absorb what the park has to offer without coming in with too much on his mind. He doesn't kind of want to come in and have this preconceived idea of what the park is. He's definitely nervous.
0: I can identify with Will on a on a very personal level that I haven't shared with you yet.
1: You also look a lot like Christian Slater?
0: no. It's that I've only been to a strip club once.
1: Whoa in my life. Super personal talk. I
0: was dragged there as a part of someone else's event. It is not my scene. I don't go to these places and I don't know what to expect or the etiquette if there is such a thing.
1: If you guys are just joining us for this podcast, this is the first time that Paul has not introduced me as his wife. At the beginning of the podcast. So, side note, I'm his wife.
0: What he went through is very similar to what I felt like I went through. It seems like he didn't want to go. And it seems like this is something that he felt like he had to do for some reason. And he's going with someone who is... Way more experienced than him. He's not really getting the benefit of a basics class. He is jumping right into the pro league without getting to experience any of the easygoing stuff. Not, uh, now, I'm not trying to say that like there's an easygoing level to going to a strip club or something like that. because
1: yeah, he sees my eyes opening wider and wider at him. I'm going to help you out of this hole you're digging yourself and tell you that I agree with you that this seems very Bachelor Party-esque. And... We kind of got an idea of the relationship between William and Logan. At one point, Logan says, come on, don't you think my sister rode her share of cowboys while she was here? It's been explained that William has a girl back home that he is going back home to, and so he doesn't want to get involved with any of the women hosts that are coming on to him. My guess is that they are co-workers, but that also they are soon to be brother-in-laws. I mean, that so makes a lot William of sense. maybe William feels like he has to go to this bachelor party. Maybe Logan is hosting him. And this is one of those times when he feels like, can't turn this down. This, everybody has a bachelor party. Maybe even at this point in time, everyone goes to Westworld for their bachelor party. It sounds like his soon-to-be wife or long-term girlfriend or whatever this sister of Logan's is. Has also gone. So maybe that was her bachelorette party. Yeah. So that seems to be the relationship between these two guys. Certainly not good pals.
0: The moment when he's talking to, I don't know her name, but. Clementine. Clementine, yes. And he says, we're not friends.
1: That's the type of relationship I could see that sort of like you have to tolerate him because he's going to be your brother-in-law but at the same time you would not have chosen him to be your pal
0: will i think we've summed up pretty effectively he is also someone that we are meant to view westworld through very clean slate yeah
1: do you think he kind of represents the the first time goer to the park and that would be us the viewer so we got to see quite a bit through his eyes including the entire monorail portion of coming into i'm going to call the visitor center and he gets off There and everyone has their own host, which Logan clearly is the um, try anything guy, and has both a woman and a man host leading him off. So. He's clearly going to just kind of experience all gonna, the wonders of the world. Right.
0: He's going to let what happens in Westworld stay in Westworld, I, I think. I think
1: most definitely. That was really cool. And I was very interested in this changing room area that the host brought him to and said that all of these clothes and all of the accessories were already his size. And he could choose anything he wanted, including spending some time with her.
0: This was the first indicator that of of his naivete, I guess, about the whole world, because he couldn't tell whether or not she was a host or not. Throughout the rest of the episode, he really couldn't tell who was a host or not.
1: Doesn't it kind of seem like maybe it's a faux pas to go around a world like this saying, Are you a robot or are you a human? Doesn't it seem like it's almost like dude, that's Uh... rude. Because she seemed like, "Um, what difference does it make? If you can't tell, it doesn't matter if I'm a robot or a human. I'd
0: rather lean toward his side of it than Logan's hand-stabby side of things. Yeah,
1: I agree with you. But do you know what I mean about this? Sort of like it's an unspoken, you don't go around asking everyone whether they're human or robot. Because a little bit, that kind of ruins the entire atmosphere. Right, the illusion.
0: Yeah, you don't go to Disney World and talk to the guy in the suit. Right, You you talk to Mickey Mouse.
1: Right, and you don't keep asking him, are you a guy in a suit? are you a guy in a suit like you either go with it or don't go but like don't come to the place and start trying to pull masks off like let it let it be what it is
0: maybe once you've seen it a couple times you'll get an idea of what those pre-scripted routines sound like even if you haven't met that particular robot before
1: Sounds right to me. At the end of his changing room experience, he has to choose his hat. Now, very I symbolic. Heard some people say, "I don't get it. How come there was like four or five white hats and four or five black hats? Like, why wasn't there just one black hat and one white hat?" And to so all of you who don't live in the South, I want to say, bless your heart. <laughs> There's more than one style of cowboy hat, and so they could have all different styles that are up there. It's not just I mean, I'm sure in your mind you might think a cowboy hat's a cowboy hat. And it's like, right. oh, no, baby. You can have all different types. feel like, even though they're probably all his same size, they're different styles, just like the shirts and the pants and all the things he got to choose in the clothing area. Now, when he had that moment of white hat, black hat, it was very apparent that it was like, okay, you're choosing whether you think you're innately a good person or, a, or maybe a little bit more, I don't want to say the word evil or bad, but certainly a little bit more dark.
0: Going to succumb to at least your more selfish tendencies.
1: Exactly. But you know what the hat room actually made me think of? No, was old Teddy, which he barely had any role in this entire show. What I realized in this episode, Teddy wears a black hat. So for as much as I kind of cast him in my mind as this knight in shining armor who is like constantly coming up and being all sweet to Dol- Dolores and saying things like, you "No, know, oh, I'm just trying to be chivalrous, ma'am." He wears a black hat.
0: Maybe that foreshadows something. Previews suggest that Teddy has that has done something. <laughs> as as a part of being in the army but they don't really show us that maybe next week we'll get an eyeful
1: i hope so but did that make you stop and wonder like okay so did you think that teddy was supposed to be this innocent chivalrous, knight in shining armor kind of guy to dolores but yet when they really make you look at this hat room and say black hat white hat and teddy's a black hat where are you like Mm -hmm. hey hang on a second maybe i am hang on a second simple
0: they wouldn't have hired such an experienced actor such a well known actor to be a straightforward character
1: or like a punching bag every
0: week either right <laughs> no he why shouldn't. would he sign up for that
1: <laughs> maybe maybe he felt it was time to kick back in his career And just take a really small role. I
0: don't think so.
1: Me neither. I think he's definitely a lot more complex, which again makes me pause for the white hat, black hat room and say, maybe black hat just means you're more complicated and you're more layered. Maybe not necessarily bad or evil, because, again, we have our man in black, but does that necessarily mean he's evil or terrible or does that just mean maybe he's got this more complexity to him and the white hat maybe is more simple, straightforward, not necessarily good and bad.
0: Time will tell. We will have to see how the different hats act. We know we have one black hat who definitely acts with reckless abandon for every person he comes across.
1: Holy cow, let's talk about him. So there certainly is one guy who goes around with reckless abandon around this town, and that is Mr. Logan.
0: He decided to not only wear a black hat, but a black suit from top to bottom.
1: Entire getup, right? You know what that leads me to believe? He intends to get his hands dirty.
0: (laughs) And around at least three women at once.
1: Wow. Wow. Yes. Quite the ladies dude, huh?
0: He's been there a number of times. So he's very jaded to the entire coming into town. Jaded?
1: Is a really good word because he's completely over all of the very beginning parts of the park which they had all of the theme park nonsense down to the photographer you know stopping your family and being like Can you, do you want to have a picture and you're like god no we just got here get out of the way I can see the rides behind your shoulder and you're completely blocking
0: going me. back to the example of the strip club doing something that could be one experience with someone that has much more experience in that thing than you let's apply that to something like a collaborative video game instead of anything weird.
1: Okay. This sounds a lot like me and Paul because in this case I would be the noob to the elaborate video game and Paul would always be the one who knew the secret codes.
0: And it can be annoying to go with that person because as a new person, you may be like, "Hey, wait a second. I I'm I'm kind of here to see in current video game language, this would be the sort of thing where there are cutscenes to watch to in order to to know the backstory of what's going on in the magical Land that you're visiting, or there are these side missions that you can go and do because they're fun. And Logan is basically saying, No, 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 skip all that. I, I know what you want to do. You want to come in here and you want to play cards and you want to blah, blah, blah. Maybe William doesn't necessarily want to do that. He doesn't have an idea what he does want to do. And that's kind of his problem, maybe. But I could recognize that it would be just super sucky to hang out with Logan who already has his agenda completely set from top to bottom, and it is full of prostitutes and (laughs) hand-stabbing. He
1: says tits and guns, Paul. Oh. So I like that you play that devil's advocate, because obviously you're saying that it's annoying to be with a person who is very experienced, so you're a little bit playing how I might feel in that game. But I, I will then expound on how you might feel as the experienced person. And the fact that as William's coming in, I mean, he's literally looking at every single character and stopping for everything. I can imagine your money only buys you X amount of time. And so- Yeah, the sun goes
0: down at some point and and the robots, as far as we know, Groundhog Day, they reset.
1: And I don't know, we're not sure about the guests yet. Like we don't know how long William has paid to stay in the park. So let's assume it's only a day. Let's start with that idea. If you're busy spending all your time doing crap like, helping the older man off the middle of the road or apologizing to people instead of like getting on in there. It's exactly how you and I are at Disney where we're like, look, people, we should be to the back of the park in the first 30 seconds that this park has opened. If you said, "Well," as soon as we walk into the park I'd like to go see how they pull the taffy and then I want to go over <laughs> and watch them dip the, the caramel apples I would literally right. lunge at your throat and right. be like get in the line for I the biggest I can't miss ride. the
0: fudge demonstration
1: I mean but isn't that exactly right like or if you're at a, a, an amazing museum and you're with like a grandma who wants to read every plaque in the lobby and you're like you're killing me the Van Gogh is in here and you are busy reading who donated the water fountain and I can cannot deal with you for any more moments of my life here we only have this amount of time so i kind of understood that relationship now the way that logan goes about sending this message to william who so in the restaurant william again continues to be annoying to logan by asking how can we tell who's the robot who's a human and logan's like you know what if you're gonna keep saying this how about i just spray this whole place with bullets and let's see who's left standing And he's like "No." But you can imagine like how annoying is that to keep asking?
0: There's like a ratchet up in our current human experience where If you were playing Grand Theft Auto or a game like that and you just start running people over or something like that, there's a detachment that you you can really strongly justify because you are just playing this video game. And it is definitely a video game. No way that what you're experiencing is real in any way. You can justify it. They're actually like living it. They're walking through the dirt. They're smelling the horse poop. (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're doing the whole thing. He's actually stabbing a guy in the hand. I was going to ask you,
1: how do you feel about the way that he handles the old prospector who comes over to their table and once again tries to engage William after Logan admittedly has told him several times, we are not interested in your treasure hunt, please go away, and he is... Told him what three to five times over the course of the beginning of the show, We're not going to do your treasure hunt, old man. Please skedaddle.
0: And I'm highly disturbed by it because I mean, maybe he has seen that guy a dozen times and he knows for sure he's a robot, but what if he's not? That guy is that the guy did a really fine job of acting like his hand had been stabbed and it was killing him,
1: screaming and crying. Oh, and it was so much blood yes oh my god so much blood it's so freaky and the fact that that amount of violence and seeing that much blood then makes logan wants to go hump a bunch of people that kind of <laughs> extra freaked me out right then right. he's like "Ooh, i saw blood let's go have sex everybody like it was like oh wow logan you're freaking me out speaking of getting freaked out there was another guy who certainly had quite an adventure this episode
0: going back to that example that i was starting to give about video games the man in black's adventure this week seemed a lot like he was playing his way through a video game through an adventure game or a role-playing game like a i mean if you want to go back a long time it'd be like zelda or something like that
1: exactly the game i thought of was zelda and i can remember during the time when zelda was super popular that one of the best gifts that you could give an avid player was one of those guidebooks that had all the secret codes and secrets behind the scenes stuff. There were so many different ways to play the games that if you you know knew to bump a brick here or, or push the three buttons two times this way or whatever, that you could find a whole different land. And I agree with you, Man in Black seems to be playing at a whole nother level.
0: To really nerd out, I'll go back and, and mention the stuff that we were talking about, how his adventure reminded me of, in the very beginnings of video video games, there was no way for video game programmers to have credit for their work known out in the world. It was just, if it was made by Atari, it was made by Atari, and that was it. So they found sneaky ways to add their own signature to their work inside the work. But you had to know how to get there. You would have to play the game and have a few lucky accidents in order to find these signature Easter eggs most of the time. They were that hidden. The way that he engages his adventure and eventually gets the answer from Lawrence's daughter, it seems like he found the right combination of switches to throw and walls to hit in order to get that reaction and to find, if not that creator's signature, then... That Easter egg that lets him move on to a hidden adventure.
1: Old Ed Harris alert, Men in Black, shows up when Lawrence is going to be hung. The way he mows down that sheriff and his posse was pretty awesome. I liked how they didn't actually show you everything, but instead just focused on Lawrence's clenched face and the way that... The one guy was like, shit, 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 trying to run away from the whole scene. I was like, that was actually very realistic. You can,
0: if you listen to it, Ed Harris has the big gun and everyone else has not as big guns. Since he's invulnerable, the pace at which he goes about mowing down the posse is not like a gunfight at the OK Corral. He's like, bam. Bam, (laughs) he just takes his time and, and takes out these poor guys. And they're just, they're shooting back. They're shooting back all they can, but it doesn't do any good. And you can tell his gun because it's the big, powerful sounding one.
1: We did try to count the amount of bullets that he had to have used to try to figure out, does he have like an unlimited supply in that chamber or does he have to reload or what? And we think he stayed within the amount of ammo you would have had. Yeah, well, later reloaded. later
0: on, when he goes and visits Lawrence's town and he reloads, he shows that his cylinder has like 10 bullets in it. I mean, it is a, a massive gun. gun.
1: Yeah. So was he using Kissy's hair? map, we'll call it, to find Lawrence's town at all? Or was he just, did he just have Lawrence on the rope and that's what led him to the town?
0: It was the scalp map didn't mean anything on its own. Lawrence, for a reason we don't know yet, other than maybe Lawrence has just been around a long time and he's a robot and possibly has residual memories at this point. I, I can't say. He has figured out how to apply pressure to try to get Lawrence to talk. And that is why he takes him to his town like a sadistic MFer.
1: That was so freaky. So he sits down in the town with Lawrence. He's like, oh, you have a family. And immediately on cue, the little girl's like, pop. <laughs> and like runs over the bartender clearly recognizes him which is kind of weird because if this is the first time he's been to Lawrence's town which it seems like it is then it was interesting that the bartender recognized him i kind of also wondered if perhaps the bartender had met him in another scenario like he was someone who had played a different role because Ed Harris certainly knew that the bartender had tipped off the cousins, but it seemed like this is the first time he was in the town.
0: Or maybe just whenever a cowboy shows up dressed all in black, you know.
1: The bartender knows to get reinforcements. (laughs) Yes. That makes good sense. So he has two bullets, he gives it to the little girl and he tells Lawrence, okay it's going to be up to you on how this stuff is used. Start asking questions here about where is the entrance to the maze
0: and this is what definitely keys you into he's trying to move on as they call it next level shit
1: wow yeah okay that's yeah. very very that's technical. what they call it yeah they are so crazy so old ed harris goes along and starts demolishing the cousins right it's right. a family reunion in town center and he just massacres everyone including He, like, adjusts his gun and manages to shoot right through a rock.
0: It's a big gun. What's also very interesting about this scene is how HQ is keeping track of what is going on. They say to Stubbs, this guy is going to do some trimming in Lawrence's family tree here. And Stubbs says, that man gets whatever he wants. What do
1: you think about that? What does it mean that that gentleman gets whatever he wants? What is Stubbs trying to say here?
0: It implies a couple things. One is that the status of the man in black is still way in flux in my mind, in that if he is a a robot who's gone crazy a long time ago that they just haven't been able to bring in, then him having this carte blanche in town, maybe it means it's too dangerous to go after him the way it is. So you have to, to set up something like a big sting in order to go get him. And this isn't that event. Maybe he's just a well-heeled backer or visitor who, like he has told us, he's been coming here for 30 years. Maybe it's as straightforward as that. Maybe he owns the place for all we know. Maybe he is the Walt Disney of Westworld. If that were the case though, then the entrance to the maze would be, maybe it's something that he uh, asked them to put in and told them, I don't want to know how to get in. I want to figure out how to get in.
1: I like it. That's really cool. One of the thoughts that I had was that it really reminded me of Lost and the dynamic between the man in black and Jacob and the idea that there were certain parameters in which they could engage. And basically, Mm -hmm. if there had been any type of rules set up to where like that gentleman, we can't touch him. He can do whatever he wants. And sort of this idea of like, maybe they do have to get William or Teddy, or I don't William seems to come to mind as the person who maybe is going to ultimately be able to engage the man in black. Somehow right. some sort of outsider has to come in on the scene that HQ itself cannot engage this guy because of some sort of rule that man is Man in black in couldn't
0: kill Jacob, so we got Ben to do it. Mm -hmm. And so it
1: just seems very like there's this strange, I don't know, set of rules that we haven't been privy to yet, but that I think we're going to find out. For sure, I do still think that Men in Black is human.
0: Well, the other thing that I was going to say that it implies is just that Stubbs is in on something. Both of his scenes suggest that he's got an agenda separate from everyone else's. This one, less so than the other one. Maybe he has some deal with the man in black
1: that makes sense maybe he does have a deal with him
0: the other scene is when he tries to decommission mave uh, an action that ultimately gets reversed by elsie makes you wonder like why did he give up on mave all of a sudden like last week how they had the massive programming failure and tom abernathy and then the repeated weird milk massacres of the other guy that's what earned those two guys going into cold storage but this week, just the fact that Maeve's prostitution numbers were down, she gets she gets sent to the clink for that.
1: Good call. I agree. Why wouldn't they just continue to work on tweaking her costume or her conversation or her approach or whatever? I agree with you wholeheartedly that these hosts don't seem so disposable. That just because, again, you're right, someone doesn't want to have sex with her, every scene that she gets involved right. with, I mean, I get that that's her role. So I guess if they, if she keeps getting turned down, but it, it does seem premature to send her out to pasture.
0: I was super surprised that Stubbs would just say, get rid of this one or, or retire this one. All of our HQ personnel, all the rest of them, except for Stubbs, seem to want to get robots back working. Like there's scenes with Bernie or with other technicians where... They're saying, well, do, can I work on this person? Can I Can I do this? Can I do that? And the response always was, no, get them back out to the show, basically. So that's why this struck me as super odd with, with Stubbs.
1: I agree. And we see that with Sizemore. He is one of the people who seems to want to... Take out hosts and replace them with new storylines rather than just work with what is already there. In the first episode, I want to say he said something like 50 he wanted to take out of commission. I don't know if that's to rework them into one of his new storylines or if that's just simply like he does not even want recognizable hosts out there. He's
0: got a couple things going on, I think. In order to just even run the park, they probably have a minimum number of hosts that they can have deployed and if they don't then it seems too sparse you know there's not enough people out there and so that's one end of it but then the other end of it was he was arguing in favor of less human-like hosts okay and we know that the update impacted 10 percent of the hosts and that they were going to be more human-like as a result and now we know from this episode they've been making him what would you say like between 30 and 50 new ones
1: That's what it looked like. Yeah, I would say I think that Cullen told him he could have 20 new ones, not 50. It looked like when they were making the costumes and they were making the new faces on the various posts, it seemed like they had probably, probably 20, maybe a little more than that, maybe like 30. But what did you think of this new storyline that he had come up with, this Odyssey on Red River
0: this was super awesome scene because you got to see Sizemore. I mean, he was, he was like a peacock strutting around. He had his robots lined up. He was presenting Steve Jobs style to the rest of his company about this new narrative that he, the delicate genius, had come up with. They had built the robots specifically for that. He was shut down by Ford with just one word. He just casually even just goes... No,
1: harsh, right? My and, goodness, so and, harsh. And
0: then Sizemore, he is is completely one hundred percent deflated by this.
1: It was so sad to see him be like, "Well, did you like anything?" Like he was so small and meek about it.
0: Really enjoyed seeing him get cut <laughs> down like Dangle that. There, that was. Kind I of can't awesome. stand people like him in real life.
1: How knife twisting was it for Ford to say, "Um, what size are those boots?" <laughs> Ouch. The only thing we enjoyed about this entire narrative after we watched them having all this staff sewing the costumes and creating just the right features on their faces and all the detail work that had gone into the entire storyline and then for him to just like the boots that one of the cast members was going to be wearing. Right. Ouch! he, I mean, Sizemore, you know, like, ran to his room and cried on his pillow.
0: I bet he did. Poor guy. I bet he did.
1: But he, you know what? He brought it on himself. It seemed like one of those things that Ford has tried to sell to all of them, this idea that this is so much more than the guests just figuring out who they are, but instead allowing them to see this person that they didn't even know they could be, which is so much more grand. It's like dream bigger, Sizemore, which really makes me me wonder what Ford has up his sleeve.
0: Ford, if you think about it from I mean, we've we've already explored the idea earlier of the of Ford being a name chosen associated with the demise of horse as a primary means of transportation for people, right? Henry Ford. Um, but I wonder if you get a double bonus with John Ford, the great Western movie director, who with rare exception moon when they when they say best western director ever some will say sergio leone but most will probably say john ford
1: Wow. Okay. I had no idea about John Ford.
0: He had this, It's I guess it's legendary, his his ability to, on the script that he would get, it would just say, and the Indians attack or, or something like that. And that would turn into 20 minutes of cinematic violence between Native Americans and cowboys. And, and and he was the genius behind making that happen.
1: Intrigue. Okay. So then Ford fancies himself, obviously, the most complex and...
0: hmm And so Sizemore's story, I think he thought was mundane, already done, obvious.
1: Tell me this, Sizemore is such an unusual name. That's not a name that it's not a Smith, a Johnson, certainly not a Ford. What do you make of Sizemore?
0: The only thing I get out of it is that he does seem too big for his size. You know, his his ego and his brash boldness uh, in the way that he deals with people. And he's a diminutive kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So it seems like a way to make fun of him almost <laughs> with, with his own name, That's you know, if yeah. it, it'd be almost like if his name was Big Giant Badass or something. And then he's really <laughs> just this tiny English guy that just yells loudly at people.
1: Right. And he's definitely the only one with the swearing and this, the kind of callous nature, like the rest of HQ is so even keel, really. I know Elsie has had a little bit of swearing here or there, a little bit of sort of more sharp tone, but honestly, the rest of them, like they talk almost in riddles. And they're very, like, just consistently more even-toned. And for him, he's just swearing and yelling, smack that Indian in the face and just... All the rest of the HQ staff just seems like befuddled by his just blow ups.
0: Even though all of them are artists to a certain extent, he is the pure
1: He reminds me of just like an advertising. Oh, I was person. going
0: I was going more I mean there's that might be true, but I was going more toward novelist or just classically trained creative writer.
1: But you know how like sometimes in various movies or shows we've seen where someone has gone to school to be this grandiose artist and then does land a job in like advertising and suddenly their artistic ability has turned into just this profit making scheme
0: Mm. and
1: it kind of is belittling crushing to the artist soul crushing yeah well like on mad men and stuff we definitely saw some of the younger writers who honestly fancied themselves these just eloquent writers and they were ultimately selling like laundry detergent right? Or writing something. jingles yeah yeah and it just completely classically trained musicians soul. writing jingles exactly right, it's right. the exact same thing
0: we're going to stick with the hq personnel and these two characters were closely intertwined yeah, literally. Uh, right. So we're going to go with Bernie and Ms. Cullen. This had the reek of a of re- relationship of uh, convenience to me. I don't imagine that they go back for Thanksgiving dinner together.
1: No. And I think you're assuming a lot to say Ms. Cullen. She does not seem like a woman who is probably single. She probably does have a husband at home. Who knows what Bernie's got going on back wherever real world is. But I felt like these two, you're exactly right. Like this was just time to let off steam for themselves, time to let their hair down.
0: Because she made it clear she doesn't really want to do much talking (laughs) with, with Bernie.
1: Well, you know, that conversation was really interesting to me when she completely confronted something that you and I talked about in the last episode, like, why do they set up these scenes where no guests are a part of them Why would the hosts, robots, why would they continue to chat with one another?
0: Bernie's response was not. I mean, yes, it was the answer, but it doesn't really tell me what I want to know.
1: I liked it. I liked that he explained that they were doing it because they're trying to evolve. There's like a self-correction kind of feature about them, where the more that they talked and the more that they interacted with each other, that they were somehow either expanding their vocabulary or no, no,
0: they're. He said they're trying to become more human. and so the question then is why? Why did you? Why did you program them to want to become more more human like?
1: I don't know why he did it, except for doesn't just,
0: that haven't you seen Terminator? I mean, <laughs> don't they have these movies in the future anymore? <laughs>
1: <laughs> All I could imagine was it was the idea of somehow making it more and more realistic. Like I know right now there is a toy out that our son wants called Cosmo, and his whole thing is he's supposed to pick up on your interactions with him and more and more reactions from him are driven by what you say and do with the little robot. And so what's supposed to make it super interesting is that he evolves depending on what you say or do. So the idea that there must be times, especially on some of these scenarios that are kind of further out from town, like maybe the ranch, where some of those hosts it's possible, like Mr. Abernathy, he might not actually interact with that many guests Yeah. All the time because they're kind of far out there, I think. Like you were saying, like Mrs. Abernathy didn't even have any lines or anything. So it might be possible that they felt like they needed to keep them sort of fresh. Tuned up. Or yeah, it seems like that where they needed to interact with one another in order to just sort of create a normalcy about their routine um, and what they were doing practice, if you will. I don't know. I'm with you on the why try to make them more human, except for just that the more realistic you can make the experience, the more money people would pay, the more.
0: But it's one thing to be the programmer and decide uh, I'm putting in this level of human-like behavior. Bam. It's in there. It's another thing to program it to want to better itself because when does it know it's enough? And then when it's enough, why isn't it going to start asking more dangerous questions?
1: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. Isn't this a folly in all sci-fi yes. movies where you where you try to create something that wants this is the a Frankenstein problem for yes. itself? Yeah, and then basically it gets out of your hands. You you can't control it anymore. It,
0: it's going to say, "Why did you make me?" And when the answer is, "Well, to have sex with with some of you and then shoot some of you." Why are they going to be thrilled with, <laughs> with that <laughs> response? I
1: do not think they're going to be thrilled with that response. I think they're going to think we could make a world of our own without all of you jerks. Now here's the question mark: Can they? Do they require something from the HQ to keep them going? Like are like they milk? In, right? Or like in do you remember in um, Jurassic Park where they had some sort of chromosome that they had to be right. given? They couldn't
0: reproduce. So they they had to be cloned because they they weren't supposed to be able to reproduce uh, the old fashioned way.
1: And they were missing some sort of, it was like a nutrient or something that they had to be given daily because they made sure that they couldn't produce it on their own. I can't remember. It was like a vitamin or something that they needed as a part of their body, but they purposely left it out and they had to get it. So it was like, it was like a mother's milk kind of thing. Like they made it to where they had to keep coming back to get it from them, from the food that they were being given. And so that makes me wonder, there has to be like some sort of safeguard like that, that Dolores and everybody, maybe it's the milk, I don't know. Certainly milk keeps coming up. This was the first time I noticed that Dolores' can of milk, when it rolled across the road there, that it was milk, that it wasn't vegetables or something else. I don't have any idea where where all this milk is going or why they need all this milk, but it is making me curious about... There must be something a part of them that keeps them from being able to go too far, in theory, or someone thought of that, I would think. Or, like Ford tells us, is it just they want the robots to make mistakes? They want, through the programming, they want them to keep evolving, evolving on their own. Because, wouldn't that be, as a programmer, wouldn't it be more interesting to write a program? That has the robot evolve rather than you keep writing like program A, program B, program C. Isn't it more interesting to write this complex program where it actually moves itself through the stages, not a reprogramming process?
0: If you had already put in that back door that said, okay, if things get out of hand, we can just pull the plug and yeah, just
1: drain the dairy farms, then
0: then yeah, that's, that'd be interesting, especially when if you look at it from Ford's perspective, that seems like the only thing left to do at this point seeing how lifelike these robots are and seeing how that first robot that he was in, that he was dealing with down in cold storage last episode was really that wasn't much further along in the animatronic track than the hall of presidents is now you can get the implied you know iterative steps that it took to get there between those two things that yeah he's come a mega long way
1: i speaking of what Someone's trying to do. I'm super curious about why Bernie is pulling Dolores to the side and having these private conversations with her.
0: And saying, don't tell anyone else about it.
1: Um, is that not the biggest red flag in the, the free world when someone's like, and don't tell anybody about this conversation? You're That's like,
0: classic <laughs> Chester the molester, isn't it, it? It
1: is. It is. And the way that Dolores puts him right on the spot is exactly that evolving thing. Like, why did I do something? And he's like, oh no, you're cool. And then the, the evolution is to say, oh, well, did you do something bad? Like, have you done something wrong? And it's like, Ooh, like erase this conversation. Shut your, shut your mouth. Get out of here. It's really confusing what Bernie is up
0: to. Maybe Bernie has his own agenda with this, you know, becoming more human. He and Ford, maybe they're not on the same page exactly, but who knows? Maybe they are. He knows from last time that Dolores was maybe within specs of being able to operate normally, whatever her question answers were, but maybe perhaps they were on, say, the high end. And although they were normal, pushed a little further, she'll go into the critical area where she might need to be pulled or reprogrammed or whatever. And he wants to observe that really closely because he is interested in the details. Like when he noticed Cullen's uh, eyebrow spasm or whatever, um, that he wanted to make that he wanted to to notate that and that's a that's something people don't notice you know about each other on, regularly. I mean, obviously now we know that he looks at Cullen maybe a little deeper than. Oh
1: my, you're right.
0: He studies things closely, so
1: maybe it's as benign as simply studying her. Maybe he isn't implanting all this whatever evil information or something that could be negatively affecting Westworld. Maybe it truly is. He noticed that within her scenario over there, the narrative of the ranch, that she seems to be doing different things. And so maybe he is just studying her and asking her more questions. She's been around the longest, so it makes sense to keep sort of pulling her in and being like, well, what do you think's going on now? What are you seeing or feeling now? And that type of thing. Like maybe. She's the one that would be the furthest along in some sort of self-evolution.
0: That is a great segue into our next character, Dolores. She only does a couple of things this episode, but they are major and... I'm going to start with the the quote from Romeo and Juliet that she whispers at Maeve. And I, and when you say, like, is, is it possible that Bernie is just watching what she does or is he implanting things in her for her to do? It was pretty clear that after she says violent delights have violent ends to Maeve, that that was basically a passcode or something that turned her on. She was... Living her life up until that point. And then when that happened, she all of a sudden started having flashbacks the same as Dolores was having. Because right before that, Dolores had what was clearly a flashback to something that had happened to her in her life previously. Where someone had slaughtered the entire town except for the dogs. Pretty wicked. Yeah. It made
1: me wonder, do you think that was the situation 30 years ago?
0: Yeah, that's what I do think.
1: You think that was it?
0: Yeah. Freaky.
1: Do you think that Maeve and her are flashing back to the same place?
0: No, I don't think so. Cause Maeve is out in the, yeah, but out on the prairie. Couldn't
1: it be the same time?
0: Could be, or it, it would be interesting to know if their relationship was something different in a, in a, in a past life, even though they're probably not relatives. It'd be, you know, the way that Maeve comes up to her and says, scat, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're bothering the customers um makes you wonder maybe they were best of friends or something in another life and that would be make it sort of ironic that she's telling her to, to vamoose
1: i have a couple of thoughts on that scene so dolores seems to pause and notice her own reflection in the window of the shop across the street and she waits there and sort of stares and i feel like Maeve walking over to her and saying, Hey, get out of here. You know, you're, you're, you're making my customers think that you're for sale out here or something like that. Honestly, I kind of think that it's just one of the moments with Maeve where I feel like she, she's kind of tipping her hand to me in terms of her own evolution. Like I do do think she was already starting to see more, experience more, understand more. Even how she explained to Clementine, oh, when you have these nightmares, you count back three, two, one. Like she had a coping mechanism for some of these things already, which means she had been around and experienced a lot of these things that like if Clementine is just new to this, then what does that mean? Maeve clearly understood something was going on. And again, I think, that every single time that one of them is going a little bit off track, it seems like Maeve is the one to step in and be like, knock this crap off. Go Get along with your narrative, you know? And she seems to have done that before in episode one. So Dolores staring at herself in the reflection there, it, it is out of the ordinary. Like, why would a robot host need to even acknowledge their reflection, right? That's a very, Mm -hmm. I would say that's a very thoughtful sort of reflection internally on yourself when you're looking at yourself in the window like that.
0: Getting caught in your own reflection like that.
1: Yeah. Like that to me, that's some deep thought that you're, that you're entering there. So intrigue. So what else happens with Dolores? She's laying in bed at the very beginning of our episode and the voice that comes over, we think is Bernie's.
0: Oh, I thought it I thought it was Man in Black.
1: Okay, so who knows? Maybe, I don't know if this is Bernie talking to her like through one of those weird conversations. Like, do you remember? Are you remembering? That type of thing. I don't know. Or maybe it is Man in Black. Do you think he's like standing in her bedroom talking to her when she's sleeping? Where do you think he's at? How is he doing that? <laughs>
0: Great question, because Maeve also has memories of Man in Black that we get to see. So... If this is some disembodied voice saying, do you remember, am I the only one who thinks the voice was deliberately spoken in a way that it could be lots of different guys just talking like this?
1: I do. I do agree with you that I didn't know if it was Bernie or if it was Ed Harris. I wasn't sure whose voice it was, which... You know, like you said, their voices are not so similar that we we couldn't discern one from no, another. Bernie, but I, I mean, his
0: voice, actually probably both their voices, but Bernie, I mean, he's got a very distinctive sounding, pleasantly smooth narrata- narrator style voice, you know? Well, but
1: so I think I'm with you though, that perhaps it was said in a way that was purposely misleading about who it could have been. Did it sound more like Man in Black? Did it sound, I mean, it should be, cut and dry for us who it was, but it's not. And so I don't think that was on accident. I think we're not supposed to be entirely sure who's telling her. Do you remember? Because I've understood that other friends of ours think that maybe it's her father's voice. And how could it be? I don't know. We only, Mm. we heard him talk a little bit, but, but he's not really embedded in my brain. So I'm with you that there were, there were several men who talked to her, including Stubbs at one point that, I feel like they had enough men talking to her enough of this sort of whisper voice that maybe if we played them all side by side, we'd be like, wow, they did a really great job of making them sound really similar when they wanted to disguise who is who.
0: The father's probably a good guess because that was the last.
1: He whispered something to her.
0: And so it wakes her up, brings her out into the the front yard, but we don't get to see what happened at the beginning of the show. And then, then Dolores has her run in with Maeve which is the way that she turns and says that phrase to Maeve, which the meaning of the phrase comes from Romeo and Juliet when Friar Lawrence is trying to warn Romeo off from going moving too fast with Juliet. That's the whole point. The excitement of of your young love is, is going to come to a bad end, basically.
1: That's super interesting because his name's Friar Lawrence. We have another character in this episode named Lawrence. And the message that is a little bit told to Man in Black is that adventure is not for you. Like you need to not go on that adventure. You need to not go there. And the maze is not for you. A little bit, it seems like Friar Lawrence's words to Romeo is a little like, you're going too fast. This is not for you. Don't go that way.
0: Same idea and the same example of when a host all of a sudden is turned from their script to just full on robot mode.
1: They talk very robotically. They
0: do. It's like they're delivering a message from somebody. Uh, we're now we're trying to figure out who that somebody is. Is it Bernie? Is it Ford? Is it the man in black? Somebody's probably not the man in black because he's the one receiving the <laughs> message. But you know, you get what I mean. Absolutely. Uh, someone unseen is manipulating things.
1: Dolores going out into the yard eventually yields her kicking around in the dirt in much the same way that her dad kicked around in the dirt and found the photograph and she finds a gun. And I know that guns are prevalent in this world, but there was something about this gun and I don't know anything about guns. So looking at it, I couldn't say like, oh, I know exactly that. That's not a gun we saw before. I have no idea but internally i felt like this gun would only be hidden if there was something contraband and or special or unique about it it made me wonder again like you were saying who's implanting these thoughts my next thought is who's physically planting stuff into the ground that is clearly messing with the robotics
0: and makes you wonder is the protection offered between the host gunfighters and human gunfighters solely in the kind of gun that they carry, Mm. or is there something more going on? Well, so
1: online, there were 11 rules of Westworld that included the information about how the guns and the bullets worked. Nolan, the creator, said, it's not the guns, it's the bullets. In the original film, that the guns were heat sensitive and they wouldn't operate guest on guest. But they felt like the guests would want to have a more visceral experience in Westworld. So when they are shot, there is sort of an impact. They're called simunitions. And apparently the U.S. military trains with rounds like this. So I guess it kind of like a little sounded to me like a paintball kind of impact where it like stings. But, you know, it doesn't kill you. There is like a release form that they have to sign just in case of some sort of accident. Because the more I thought about it, like when we saw Ford standing up on that tall mountain kind of cliff area, there could be a million ways that you could get injured in this space. I mean, everything from the cactuses to, I mean, the horses walking around, even though they're robots and they could very much try to not ever have a problem with you. It seems like they could get kicked or Mm -hmm. really natural accidents could happen just from guest on guest. Even if a gun couldn't hurt you, couldn't you punch someone in the face?
0: I believe punching would, would still have the, the the same old effect as usual.
1: So another part of the actual hosts is that they have a feature called the Good Samaritan Reflex or Function. So wherever they can, the park is populated by hosts, and part of their programming is to protect the guest. So if you got a drunken guest, which I didn't even think about the idea that they could be drunk, who is like running towards a cliff, you could have a host who could, without really breaking their narrative, they could kind of steer them away. That was part of what they were supposed to be doing. Another rule was that it was these small little things that give away who are the hosts and who are the humans. It was really subtle. They said that it would try to be just like a small movement or a shift or a freeze. And those are the things that actually make it a little bit freaky when you're trying to figure it out. One of the other rules is it says the host may be more human than human. I guess more in that because they're programmed with all those emotion and consequences and all types of things that when these guests come in and they actually just start shooting people up, like they're acting less human than the robots themselves are actually acting. Another rule is it's been around as long as Disneyland or longer. They came up with an early estimate. One of the ideas is that it was... Around for longer than 30 years.
0: Interesting. So this isn't necessarily a near future type thing. This is more like an alternate history kind of thing.
1: Could be. Don't know. We don't know what time frame that they're in. Uh, Number seven was that it's the host's world and we're just visiting. So the idea that they're going to continue to live their little lives and everything's going on around them and we're just hanging out. If you stay long enough, you can find out Westworld's secrets. So we know that with old Ed Harris. Westworld is not just any Western, it's a John Ford Western.
0: Uh Aha, I didn't even read that before I made my comment.
1: It says, when we're talking about doing a Western, we went to that classic, iconic sense of that John Ford Western. The Western where that geography is exquisitely, exclusively in America. It turned out John Ford had obviously made Monument Valley famous with its first films. His last four films shot in a place called Castle Valley, east of Moab, which is where we went back to for that. It's incredibly beautiful. So crazy, huh?
0: Makes a lot of sense now, right?
1: It's amazing. Also, did you realize that the player piano actually is playing pop songs that they use an actual company to create the reels?
0: I am not surprised to learn that given who's making this.
1: HBO is thorough, huh?
0: Detailed, you know, cover your bases, make the universe really click kind of writing, you know?
1: Okay, that totally makes sense. So in that whole trying to keep within the universe, there's something about Dolores here and her mixture of maybe longevity in this world. And clearly her relationship with Bernie... That is giving her a whole new journey here, I would say, right? Finding this gun in the ground. Yeah. I feel like her trajectory is going to really go right off the map.
0: Where the picture caused Tom Abernathy to just short circuit, basically. I think when she runs into her, maybe this gun, maybe it's another trigger, she's going to start piecing things together. She's going to have whatever tools in place that she needed In order to, instead of fall down the chasm, to leap over and get to the other side.
1: I'm wondering who she's going to take on the other side with her. It always seemed like her and Teddy were paired up and that they were supposed to be having this adventure together. But this time when she loses her can in the road, it's William that picks it up. I'm wondering a lot about William and her and what their relationship is going to be like.
0: Yeah, William must not have been introduced just to give us one week's new eyes in Westworld. He's got to have a larger role here. Maybe we'll get some more answers then on the, (laughs) what about your multi-day stay kind of thing? Like in the movie, they showed what happened at night when you were sleeping in town. They came out and they they put the town back together. They picked up the dead robots and then... Put everything back the way it's supposed to be, kind of, kind of like they do at Disney World. You know, mm-hmm. dead people all and dead everything, people all over Disney. Yeah, but here the only thing we've seen is that they just reset everybody with the same story, unless there's some other compelling reason to take out that robot and put in something else. You know, instead of the sheriff who's now broken uh, recruiting a posse, they put in soldiers asking you to to join up but but really i mean the rest of the narrative on the main street there is it seems as far as we can tell the same
1: yeah it seemed extremely similar so was there anything else with dolores in this episode that you felt like was worthy of note
0: well these two things are major things i mean huge she found the found this gun and her relationship for for no reason that she can think of and she is spreading a virus (laughs) amongst other hosts Right. And we don't know why or if he, if she even knows what she's doing.
1: So this awakening with Maeve has turned her in from a side character into huge main character for us in this episode. She seemed to come alive, like you said, when she heard those words from Dolores. And she continues to have this extreme journey in this episode. All these things memories and or dreams or past roles, we're not sure what they are yet, come flooding back with this line. And she has a memory of being apparently a mom. She has a little girl. They're running around in like a prairie type setting. And she is grabbed by a Native American and going to be scalped a la man in black, right? Right. In this hubbub, she runs back to the house with her little one, gets out her shotgun and tries to defend herself and this was some kind of crazy imagery that was going on. You see the Native American running along the side of the house through the windows and right at the last second he is behind a wall and And the next moment, here's Ed Harris walking through the door.
0: So that's kind of dream logic kind of stuff rather than a real memory.
1: It seems that way. It does seem that way that he just suddenly is on the scene. It also makes me wonder if he has some ability to sort of pop up around places. What if it turns out that it is some Legend of Zelda type business or ikea type business where it's like you take this shortcut and you thought you were in lamps and now you're totally in small world like eating the meatballs because there's these little secret shortcuts is it possible that he like zigzagged over like quick even though he wasn't out there maybe originally but he just kind of popped up in their world because he's got some sort of well
0: we saw that ford has access to out of the way elevators yes can't be the only one
1: i Do not think it's the only one at all, for sure. What else about Miss Maeve did we find out? How about the fact that she has the ability to wake herself up out of a sleep state?
0: Oh, when she was having the maintenance done on her and she wakes up kind of like a... Those horrible stories you hear about people having surgery and then the anesthesia wears off and they wake up in the middle of the surgery. It was a lot like that.
1: It was so scary, right? When they said that she had MRSA in her belly, that was a little curious, except for that one of our kiddos actually had MRSA, which is flesh eating bacteria. And that seems like crazy. Like, how could she have gotten that? How is there living tissue or what's going on? But the interesting thing with our kiddo is that she had ear tubes at the time and they're made of plastic and the MRSA had actually colonized itself in the plastic tube. And so it was able to live inside the plastic tubing. On her own physical body, we kept, we were able to keep her clean and try to get it off by like bleaching and all this kind of stuff. But we couldn't get into that tube we didn't know was in there. So it doesn't surprise me that with Maeve, predominantly made of, I'm guessing, non organic parts, that she still could have a colonization of MRSA.
0: I don't have a medical uh, license, but I'm going to say that she comes in contact with the dirty Western type uh, environment. And her profession is not known for its cleanliness. So mm. she comes in contact with uh, things that are all shapes and sizes, <laughs> Gross. I'm sure. So who knows where this came from. But the, some of the commentary that, that the technicians were making made us wonder what were they talking about you know who were these dirty fuckers that that they were talking about
1: i don't know if they mean the guests right or if they mean like whenever i don't know if mave is a character like teddy or or any of the other ones that can get killed regularly or does get killed regularly i mean you can imagine some of these guests might have some pretty messed up fantasy type things that go on where she could get killed in these scenarios and have to come back and get cleaned up in some way and i don't know if they're talking about those guys who do the clean up and send them back out kind of thing. Because certainly if you were kind of hosing people off, like you said, I mean, that did not seem very sanitary. It just seemed like a very general cleanup.
0: So this scene came after the checkup with Elsie. Where Elsie tweaked her personality a little bit and said, "No, she's not going to the scrap heap. She's she just needs a little of this, a little of that, sort of like a fairy godmother, but much more foul mouthed in terms of just tweaking a percent of this, a dash of that." And well,
1: it definitely seemed like this whole idea of you know increasing her aggression. No, we should increase her emotional acuity. There seemed to be this game of like, what would make her more human? What would make her more attractive? What would make her more of um a turn on for any of the guests and that is kind of an interesting question would it be better if the madam of this whorehouse is aggressive is it better if she's more able to read the guests with her emotional acuity and try to get the idea of like oh oh i know you know well, the I, way I they
0: wrote it do. was less aggressive was better for sure cuz she was remember she she cornered a woman mm-hmm. and the woman was probably one part flattered two parts scared out of her mind
1: (laughs) well i wonder too if it was a man who increased her aggression and a woman that increased her emotional acuity so Mm. i wonder if that's just one of those things where it's like which would either of them want if she was coming on to them
0: well the the new combination made it so that she was a more effective madam than regular old prostitute she uh, matched up the needs of of the guest with Clementine's abilities.
1: Which was more about reading the situation, having good understanding of what was happening in front of her.
0: In a lot of ways, I feel like this episode was about Maeve.
1: I feel like she was the one that, in the same way we got to see William be the representative of what it looks like when a first-time guest come into the park, she seemed like it was the way that maybe Dolores had felt at some point in time. I feel like Dolores is well past where Maeve is, but what does it look like when a robot first wakes up
0: what yeah. does it
1: look like when that first moment happens so in many ways william was the counterpart in the human world he's just coming in on the scene and maeve is just coming in on the scene from her point of view
0: right and the question is going to be what happens with maeve can she hack it
1: i don't really know how she's going to get into a, a mind space where she can continue to act remotely normal here but we shall see
0: given her her trade those questions that I was wondering about, as you become more and more self-aware and you realize that you are just a tool for someone else's amusement, she's already pretty spicy when, when it comes to acting out, you know. Um, so what's that going to mean for her? She I mean, she pulled a scalpel on those technicians.
1: She was very good about defending herself. That was part of her personality as the as the madam there. She, like you said, in the first episode, protected Clementine against the robbers and stuff. It seemed to be part of her programming. Again, she has like self-preservation, which is something we had talked about before. It's not like they want to get killed. Like the guy at the hanging, he was trying to run away. He wasn't willing to stand his ground and fight. He was going to try to run away. So interesting enough, there is some sense of self-preservation Speaking of that, when we were talking about the Men in Black, and we were talking about him and his his interaction with Lawrence's daughter, her self-preservation seemed to be what yielded the message that she had to pass on to him.
0: Right. When the Man in Black gave her the two bullets, he basically said, you get to decide what happens with these. And he used one to shoot the mom. And she for whatever reason, bought her life back.
1: Self-preservation, I
0: think. uh, By telling how to get to the maze, or at least where to look for the the opening or the, the entrance to the maze.
1: So she, not unlike Dolores, had this secret message to pass on in her best robotic voice.
0: Follow the blood arroyo to the place where the snake lays its eggs.
1: Intrigue. And so you looked up Arroyo and you found out it meant...
0: A steep-sided gully cut by running water in an arid or semi-arid region.
1: So Red Arroyo would be like the Red River? Yeah. Okay, intrigue. And then the only time well, we'll blood
0: we... Blood Arroyo, so...
1: I'm going to go with Red then.
0: That's interesting because that kind of echoes Sizemore's...
1: Odyssey R- on the Red River was y- the name of his narrative. Right. Intrigue. Okay, so the other part of it was the place where the snake lays its eggs. Okay, so for me, that is talking about Ford and something about him. So let's move into what Ford was up to this time. He had a lot of interesting interactions with everybody. Most specifically, we talked about him with Sizemore, his just total crash cut down there.
0: He cut him down to size quickly, easily, just a few words.
1: Absolutely. And then he also had a conversation with Bernie because he wanted to talk to him when he had to go put Abernathy out to cold storage. It had a really interesting, cool scene there with the same reflection thematic there that we had going on where his face is coming around this edge of the glass cubicle and you can see his face talking to bernie but also his reflection on the cubicle wall and so it's like he's super two-faced or two-headed looking at that moment and bernie is lamenting this idea of like you know you spend all this time making this creation. And then at some point, you have to put it down, basically. And how what a difficult experience that is. And how he had had these wonderful trainings from Ford on how to make the creatures, but not on this part. Ford's line essentially was, in order to play God, you have to be acquainted with the devil, was so huge. This idea that you have to walk this line that is so slippery you know like if you want to be right up at greatness you are just weebling along evil and and the worst type of everything i feel like that's sort of this idea of like the more powerful you get the more tempting that abuse of power is and the more you can accomplish alone the more you also can control and that can create a really nasty temptation
0: plus you get to throw in the first foreshadowing of religious themes that are going to come up the rest of the episode and, if my guess is right, the rest of this season, if not the whole entire show.
1: I agree. There's a lot going on here that has got that religious tone to it.
0: Ford knows the installation inside and out, and they didn't need to show it to us that he used this elevator coming out of this very certain spot. They could have just shown him coming up out of the desert, but instead they showed that this elevator was coming out of a spot where no one else was going to be.
1: It's like a porthole, right?
0: No, it looked more like a maintenance area. Like unless you had some reason to go and work on whatever the machinery was around there, this wasn't the flashy area where they were fixing up the horses and all that other stuff. This is this looked more like where the generators were or something like that. So he went out of his way to find a place where no one else was going to be used that elevator to go to a place where no one else would he thought would go
1: i think he knew who he, who he was going to meet up with there
0: okay but exi- aside from him
1: so who did he meet up with who do you think this little boy was
0: young ford like he programmed himself a young self to talk to
1: maybe because again we had talked about in the last episode that maybe he didn't get married maybe he didn't have kids so this was a way for him to literally go out and play as a child with this little guy who he had all this intimate knowledge of because it was his own little self.
0: I was unconvinced when we watched it the first time, but when we watched it again... And he says, my father says, blah, blah, blah. And then the little boy says, my father says that too. It's like, oh, okay.
1: (laughs) Well, and I just think that it goes with this idea of being the maker and this idea that he had expressed this thought that he had maybe strayed a little bit here when he was talking with the boy. And the boy says that he had gotten away from his parents, basically. And that's why he was wandering around up there. That's what Ford's excuse was too. He's like, oh, I kind of strayed from my own path here. And that's why I'm here too, Intrigue. I felt like the little boy was super representative of the most innocent time for Ford, the time when he didn't know all the secrets of this land and he didn't know all the different things that he he was going to accomplish. It was before all those things happened. And so he has these moments with the little boy where he can like show him, oh, can't you hear the white church bells? And then suddenly the little boy's like, oh, I can. But he does this little like move with his hand like to the boy and the boy's like, oh, I do hear it.
0: Do you get any sort of God and Adam type relationship?
1: Oh, I like that here.
0: I'm not going to nail it with the religious aspect here, but I was just thinking about it. And the little boy calls where they're at nowhere land Mm -hmm. and Ford Uh, rebukes him. He's like, no, what are are you talking about? This is, look at, look at all the great stuff here. Look at all the great detail. Look at everything that went into this. I can't imagine a better place than where we are right here and now.
1: Which is something God might've said if Adam had lipped off, right?
0: About Eden, right? Right. And then we have the robot snake come up. There was a snake in Eden and we're missing an Eve for this to work.
1: Well, let me throw this out. Maeve is spelled M-A-E-V-E. Oh, just throwing that out there.
0: Interesting. But the, what happens with the snake is pretty cool. He uses some fancy hand jive and the snake goes away. And then the same thing happens as in the Bible, right? He, he sends be the
1: Bible for the rest of you. He
0: sends the boy away to never come back.
1: I feel like part of the reason in that moment for me, why I felt like he sent the boy away was I feel like Ford has decided to take this alternate path that is going away from his innocence, going away from what he had this maybe altruistic plan for this vacation spot or whatever about the robots. But once he was up there and he looked over at this structure that was over there, I felt like when he looked back at the boy and said like, and you're never going to come back here anymore. To me, it was like, you're going to stop reminding me that I'm not going down the good path anymore. You're going to leave and I'm done with sort of being conflicted about whether I'm going to go down this dark path or I'm going to try to stay on the straight and narrow. I'm going down this other path now.
0: Or could it be that that I think um, what we were talking about last week, that, that he is at the end of his life, he's at the end of his career, and he wants to just funk things up. <laughs> and, and so I have gotten this idea that by giving the robots religion, He is going to do exactly that. Hmm. And what if he's saying to to young Ford, don't come back here as a way of preserving him from the madness that will ensue once you have robots start to think about God. I mean, look what it does for people. And now you're going to have robots start worrying about it. I me mean, it'd be one thing to program them to just go to church every week and then no but you so you're
1: saying questioning their own creation yeah questioning if there's something larger than themselves yes. basically questioning their own reality yes and once you start doing that you're in trouble and that's
0: what I think the church is there for
1: well it's funny that you said it's a church because I'm gonna I called it a structure and I think that it's funny because we're in Texas in Houston and for us when I see the structure that it looked like it looked like an oil derrick with a Tea on the top it's
0: a steeple
1: <laughs> but it's just a steeple right is the rest of it underground do you think like why is it just the steeple sticking up mm. where's the rest of the building
0: i thought they were just playing coy with camera angles myself that that, that didn't no joke to...
1: you think that it was sort of under under the side of the cliff or
0: yeah i thought it was just beyond. kind of around the corner and it's just not what we were supposed to be looking at this week. That's that's what I thought.
1: I can completely go with that. They certainly did that quite a bit this week between the killing of the posse and the way that they did the Man in black come in the door for Maeve. There certainly was a lot of camera angle visual trickery that was happening. Think of
0: of how long they kept the Dharma initiative as a, as a, what is that? And you just got little glimpses of it here and there. And it took three seasons before they said, okay, this is what the Dharma initiative is. What if
1: it oil, Derek, and his big evil plan is to start pumping oil? Uh, (laughs) J.R. Ewing with his big white hat. Oh. Oh, I'm saying. What well, if he just comes bebopping around the corner of Ellen, Trouble in Dallas? Um,
0: okay, that is one theory that he wants to become an oil baron,
1: a tycoon.
0: No, I think he wants to uh, become God <laughs> to to his robots. That's 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 what I think.
1: So you think he's going to kind of summons them there like he's standing on the top of like Mount Sinai there? Oh, he
0: I don't know that he's going to stick around to bask in the praise or anything like that. I, I think just having them go through this exercise would, would be enough for him.
1: It's a pretty bizarre. See how
0: it turns out.
1: Concept for him, right?
0: It's like those old programming games, or, you know, like lemmings or something Did you just mm. try something and see what happens.
1: Well, he did absolutely explain himself in those terms when he said everything here is because of some sort of mistake that's basically how evolution works and i suppose if the goal was to make the host as human as possible what would be the next stage after that well beyond human would be what angels Mm. god whatever right like if you're what what would be like superhuman what would be raising your consciousness to what Something beyond human, we're considered pretty basic, I guess. Well,
0: where they are, if they don't have any kind of religion, no spiritual component to them, that's what I'm arguing is. Yeah, is, no, you're is, is totally that, right. He's trying to add that, and
1: <laughs> just that's going to be dangerous. See what happens. I agree with you. I think that that's going to be dangerous because you're right. That's what really makes us separated from a robot is. Our human spirit, if you try to add spirituality or any sense of a spirit outside of your host body, right? Because that's like a lot, what they call your body is just, it's like the host, right? And your spirit is in there your spirit still remains and that's kind of a lot of the theme here it's like these memories still remain the roles of your past are still in there that's a lot of like the idea of like past lives and what your spirit's done before can kind of like creep up on you they they say that in other religions that you know you might have some flashback where a small kid would say something like oh i used to row the boat or something that you're like what And it's like, oh, that's some past memory from a past life.
0: So, if he doesn't decide to give them religion, I'm sure there's a perfectly good story reason for.
1: Oil, (laughs) Derek.
0: Right. He wants to give them hydrocarbons. No,
1: what he wants to give them is an energy crisis. They have (laughs) to deal with how are you going to make clean energy, Paul?
0: Right. I mean, that is the natural evolution of, <laughs> of these robots. Of the
1: robots. And of going on vacation at Westworld, right? <laughs> right. Worrying about the, the cost of the barrel of oil. Right. Ah, uh, hilarious. I felt like every single character this week went through such a huge transformation. We saw a lot of movement on everybody, even when we didn't have a lot of screen time. Like Dolores had so much happen to her, even though she was really on screen for such a short period of time.
0: Are there any specific uh, plot points you'd like to discuss?
1: I felt like the only other part that I thought that we didn't really hit was this this idea of these Fordisms that keep coming up with him. The idea of he tells the little boy everything is magic to everyone except the magician. Comments like that kind of blow my mind in a lot of ways because it's like, yeah, that's totally true, and then it's kind of like how sad to be the magician then the whole world must seem so. Explainable, yeah. If you know how all the magic is done, and so I was wondering a lot about his own character and what I want to call it sadness must he have when you think you know all the answers?
0: Well, that would explain a lot of if we're correct about what he's trying to do. That would explain a lot of his the motivations that we're trying to assign to him is just. You think he's just boredom g- with with it? Like he has got it figured out and. He 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 needs a surprise in his life.
1: It's not even that he has it figured out. I mean, he made it. He didn't like go into it and figure it out. He made it. So therefore, there's nothing to figure out for him. I mean, he knows exactly what's in the pie, you know? he, He made it. That's curious about human nature generally is that he talks a lot about boredom in that conversation with the little boy and the idea that if you're a boring person, you don't even know anything about being bored Mm. because you don't you if you're a creative person you can feel bored but if you're a boring person you don't even know you're bored you know you're just boring you don't know so i feel like he was talking to all this just exactly what you said he's just bored you know this is all so boring and besides more his whole response of like this is all lame this is so boring it's so predictable yeah everything so you're right he wants to shake it up on the largest scale possible
0: I guess one last question, Mark, we we had was why in the world did they stream it so early in the week?
1: Yeah, so for all of you guys who maybe didn't even realize it, we got a message saying that it was out on Thursday night when it should have been out on Sunday night. Now, the only thing that we could figure was... Well, a couple of things, I guess. Two major things. One, we knew that big hurricane Matthew was coming through and that maybe they thought there would be some sort of disruption for all of those people. So maybe they were trying to get it out. And then obviously we had the huge
0: presidential debate
1: that was right scheduled during the time that this would have played. So it made sense. I hope that it didn't bother any of the viewers. I know I can imagine that it might have been irritating to not realize it was on and then go to work or something next day and have people like, talking about it and be like shut up i didn't even know it was on that could be irritating but i thought it was kind of cool we got to watch it a couple extra times
0: for some reason i doubt they'll keep it up but who knows maybe they will
1: what do you think about it being a little unpredictable like that is that okay
0: well the message that accompanied the notice that it was available was something about essentially it was one of those meta type messages that the entertainment company like HBO would put out, say like, we've been hacked by someone and our Westworld servers are gonna put up the show or something like that. And it was something to that effect. Since Westworld is not coincident with our timeline, I hate that. Um <laughs> because that couldn't happen. That they they're they're in the future as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well are they? Who knows, right? We don't really know. All we all we know or think we know is that they're thirty years from the original movie at least, if we think that the movie perhaps Yeah, but look at those three
0: was... D printers and, and all that. I mean, they're I mean, we can see where they are from where we are technologically. It's not so far, but it's far enough. We're not there yet.
1: My robotics lab report this past week. It had a lot of these same features, Paul. So I'm just telling you, my newsletter is totally riddled with hosts and discussions (laughs) of what are we going to do with all the horses. Right. (laughs) We hope you guys enjoyed our discussion of episode two, Chestnut of Westworld.
0: Please give us feedback where we post on uh, Facebook and on our website. Or it would be awesome if you left us some reviews on iTunes.
1: Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for
0: listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.